0: I'm pleased to see you return to Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. I am your shopkeeper, Chris Baker, and today we have got a wondrous item to behold. Now this may look like a regular key, this may look like a regular lock, but if you put these together and give it a twist, the wonders of what we might find come to fruition And that is the essence of today's episode of Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. So let's pull out the mutoscope and take a look at season three and the series finale of the Netflix series Lock and Key. So Lock and Key, if you go back and check out the review I did on season two, of course, season one uh, happened before I really started doing Oddsbodkin's Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. Uh, although we did kind of talk about uh, some of the events of season one in that season two review, uh, you'll know that this is less than a full year since the final episode of season two that we get episode one of season three. Season two was released on Netflix on October 22nd of last year. And like I said, not even a full calendar year as this season three and series finale dropped on Netflix on August the 10th. And the reason for that is because they filmed both these uh, season two and season three, essentially one right after the other. Uh, They didn't really take any downtime. They did it Lord of the Rings style. They filmed it essentially. Season two went right into season three. I know there was talk before that they had the script for season three written before they even went into production on season two. So they really were... Focused on telling this story in three seasons. I know a lot of people have talked about, oh, they're canceling it. Uh, No, they didn't cancel Lock and Key. They just had a finite story to tell based on the Joe Hill, Gabriel Rodriguez comics and that's was the extent of it. You really, if you drew this out any longer, I mean, did anybody really want this drawn out longer? (laughs) Because, uh, you know, there was almost only so much story you could tell with this in the comics. Told very well in the Netflix series. Uh, there's been mixed reviews on that, and then we're gonna kind of talk about that. How they wrapped up this third season? Uh, did it come to a fulfilling conclusion? Uh, how do we feel about the different characters and the conclusions they got, and just the the series as a whole? And the whole premise of this third season was really quite simple you had the Frederick Gideon character who was introduced at the end of season two played by Kevin Durand he's a Revolutionary War captain I believe and he has come back uh, he's possessed by a demon and he is trying to get all of the keys of Key House, all the lock keys. And I'm just gonna throw this right out here now. Uh, This is gonna be full of spoilers because uh, we're gonna talk about this and there's no way to talk about this without spoiling some things and talking about what actually happened. So if you haven't watched Lock and Key Season 3 and it's a real bugaboo for you to have anything spoiled, Go watch it, then come back and listen and see if we share some of the same ideas about this. But if you have watched it or you don't give a shit about spoilers, then we're going to commence with the spoiling because uh, Kevin Durant is trying to get all of the keys from Key House so he can use them together to open up a portal into the the Dark Dimension. Uh, the dimension that lies behind the black door that the Omega Key opens up. And that really is the the only main storyline of this third season. You get a couple little smaller storylines. You have Kinsey and her friends trying to make a sequel to their movie. You have Nina and the relationship with her and the Josh Bennett character. They throw in a twist about Bodie being a little uh, not jealous, but he's he's worried that if his mom moves on that she's going to forget about his father Um, you know a a very typical storyline for a kid that age you've got the side story with tyler Locke, who at the end of season two decided to just go off before his 18th birthday and of course after you turn 18 if you haven't had the memory cue used on you you forget all about magic and he has moved off to montana he's building houses he meets a girl. That they kind of have a, a flirtatious relationship. And although not a relationship, they're just friends. But uh, they, they they play that. And of course, everybody gets brought together because they have a wedding. Which is kind of another very tertiary storyline with the Aaron Ashmore, Duncan Locke character. He's getting married and... Uh, Tyler comes back for that wedding and kind of gets shit mixed into all that's going on. And just like the Godfather, just when I thought I was out, they pull me back in. And he ends up not sure what's going on because things are going on. You have this Frederick Gideon character uh, trying to get these keys and he's very uh, proactive about it. He calls... Up a couple echoes out of the well house, a couple revolutionary soldiers that are doing his bidding, his henchmen. There's another little side story with uh, Ellie and Rufus, how they've moved back to Matheson. But Ellie doesn't want to stay there. She's having problems. You know, they had to concoct this, you know, cock and bull story about how she was uh, found wandering the streets of Pittsburgh and didn't have any memory. Everybody thinks she's crazy or has mental issues, and she's trying to integrate herself back into uh, Matheson society and is having a rough time of it. Uh, all very simple stories, and nothing that really has any main bearing. On the main story, which is the main focus of this, Uh, they really trimmed down the runtime of these episodes. I mean, the first half of the season, probably episodes pushing 45 minutes. The last few episodes of this season, and there were only eight episodes, you know, there were 10 episodes per season. First two seasons, but season three, you only get eight episodes. And the last few were, you know, just pushing over 30 minutes. Uh, so they really focused on the main story, but even still, it felt very rushed. I mean, you didn't have a lot of story to tell, but it, it still felt rushed. It still felt like we could have had some connective tissue or, or maybe not even that. Uh, I think my real problem was with this is because you had the Dodge character, which was the the big bad guy for season one and season two. And in season two, you had this Dodge character turning all these regular people into demons with, uh, what was the demon key or something like that. And And there were some real stakes. I mean, real people died at the end of that. And you really felt like... Yeah, you know, where do they go from here? What, what's, what's the next big thing to make everything even more in peril? Uh, they killed off the Dodge character. So in walks this Frederick Gideon character who we get through some dialogue because they do bring back Dodge using this time shift key, a uh, key in a, a grandfather clock. It allows you to go back in time. And of course, Bodie goes back in time when he wasn't supposed to and brings Dodge back with him. Uh, granted, it's for a finite amount of time, which kind of plays into a, to another angle. But so, so you get this Dodge character to come back and spout some exposition about how the Frederick Gideon character's demon that is possessing him is a big bad demon uh, a god from where they're from and that's really the only thing you get to explain how bad he is i mean don't get me wrong Uh, kevin durand plays unhinged bad guy Quite well. I really like the the antagonist he played in 310 to Yuma. Uh, I like this character. It it really, you know, he either plays like big and simple, like he did in Mystery Alaska. Uh, Just a, a lovely character, an endearing character. And you know, he just played that so well, but then he can play just abject evil quite well. And uh, and that's one of the things I like about him as an actor. Sometimes it can seem a little over the top, but if you're playing an over the top character, that makes sense. And I don't mind that. And I thought Kevin Durand did a great job with the Frederick Gideon. He added more menace than this character probably earned. Because you keep finding out that this character wants to bring the demon realm This dark realm that is behind the black door to our world, break down the barrier, bring this world in. But you never see what that means. You never really fully understand. I mean, yeah, it's probably going to be bad, but they just, like I said, they really never set any of the stakes as to what this would mean for humanity, what this would mean for the Locke family, what this would mean for the town of Matheson. Uh, Those stakes were never really set, so you really didn't get the weight of what was going to happen. Yeah, you're told it's going to be bad, and I believe it's going to be bad, but I don't feel that it's going to be bad because there's no sense of dread that's ever really established. And I never felt at one point that, the lock kids were not going to save the day. So there really didn't feel like there was any uh, menace, not like real menace to this. There were the, you know, the, the town of Matheson, the lock kids, the world at large didn't really feel like it was in any great peril because the lock kids were going to figure it out and they were going to use the keys to, to save the day. And that's that's kind of one of the things, maybe not so much on the comics, but I know in the TV show, uh, the keys is a plot device to get people out of trouble. And the series really did this a lot where they like invented keys just to push a story or push what they wanted to do Uh, you know some of the keys that they use in this series are not from the comics or they're from the comics but they're used in a different way like the time shift key the key with the clock where Bodhi goes back in time in the comics you can go back in time you can witness things but you can't interact with it in the tv series you can interact with people you can talk with them uh, Bodhi even brings Dodge back inadvertently. Uh, they do this thing at the very end where they 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 go back in in time, and it you know it makes for a a sappy happy ending to the story. But it's not necessarily in the comics that way. And that's probably one of the biggest problems I have with the series as a whole is that in the comics. In the Joe Hill, Gabriel Rodriguez comic series, graphic novel series, you get a lot of violence, you get a lot of horror, you get a lot of chills and scares, along with the fantasy aspects. Uh, of the stories that they tell in these characters whereas in this you just didn't get any of that i mean you got some creepy moments uh in the first season i thought okay we are going to get some you know some nods to horror if not maybe straight up horror we're going to get some nods to horror in the second season there were a couple creepy moments i think the the story with dodge turning people into demons i think that was creepy it added some menace and some horror elements to it But all in all, they treated this whole series as like a kid's show and like the comics is not a kid's show uh this started out it felt like it was leaning into maybe some teen area but you know i I can deal with that it had kids in it uh, I you can you can do some horror, you can do some fantasy and science fiction that involves kids and it not be a kids movie. But Netflix didn't do that with this. They really doubled down, especially in this season. They went from like wanting this to be a teen show to let's well let's make this a tween show, and I, I just. I think they had some real missed opportunities because, like I said, there's a lot of violence, a lot of horror, a lot of gore, scares, and chills in the original graphic novel series, and they just didn't lean into any of that with this, and really made this, tried to make this more of a family show, and and it was to a degree. I mean, it is about a family, and it's about the family dynamic. And this family working together to to fight these evils to learn about these keys to learn about their history it, it is definitely family oriented but netflix tried to make it to hallmark family and that was one of the disappointing things now that's not to say that i i didn't enjoy the the actors and what they brought to the family dynamic Uh, I mean, this is purely from a storytelling standpoint. And I thought too many things that the writers did that deviated from the original story that took them too far off the path to get to the end of the comic series. And then they had to do some tricky things to try and get back on course. And just some things just didn't make sense or I didn't like how they did it, especially with the Bodhi Uh, becoming a ghost how they did that and used dodge coming back and having dodge you know in the comic series dodge does possess bodhi they did that here but they did it in a different way and and then they even almost gave dodge a redemption arc which i i didn't mind dodge sort of quasi gets a redemption in the books where at the end tyler goes into the well house and and frees dodge's spirit from the demon. I, I get that. I mean, it was a it was a nod to that. It was very much in the spirit of that. But it just they did it differently enough that some things just didn't make sense. And they they really kind of jerked around with the timelines of when Dodge did this. I mean, a lot of things that Dodge did in the second season were what actually happened in the end of the comic series and should have been the end of the. Uh, series itself but they moved that up too soon and then they had to come up with a whole new villain to fill out a third season and that's where you get the whole uh, Gideon as a demon thing and just like I said uh, I think this was a case of what happens when writers try to deviate from the source material too much and then realize hey we've gotten so far off track we are not going to make a satisfying end to this series that is going to at least uh, parallel the work in the book, the source material in the books, and we've got to do some writing chicanery to try and get ourselves back on course, to to write ourselves out of the mess we've created by deviating too much. And then you had a lot of aspects of this that things they brought up that. Just absolutely had no bearing on the end of the story. Uh, There was that whole thing in season two with the Josh Bennett character being a great, 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 great grandson of uh, the Frederick Gideon character, which only came up in a passing reference. In season three, had no bearing on the story whatsoever and was just kind of a throwaway plot point. Uh, You had the snow globe, which, if I'm not mistaken, the snow globe thing at the beginning of uh, season three, uh, the snow globe is not one of the keys that are in the lock house. This was something concocted by the show, which had these two demon sisters in it and they're trying to get out and they get out and they cause a little havoc. And they do something for Gideon, and then they're quickly trapped again in the mirror uh, with the mirror key. It just—it was like they were just a means to an end. We gotta find a way to get Gideon inside the well house to get something and okay, we're going to create these two characters that are only going to have enough bearing just to get this to happen. And then we're going to throw them away and you'll never see or hear from them again. You have the Carly character, which is the Tyler Locke love interest that, I, I mean, she kind of spurs him to make good with uh, Kinsey and, and stuff like that, but she was just there, just to be a love interest. And then when things really hit the fan, uh, Tyler sends her packing, and she's only referenced again. You don't even really she the character just had no bearing on the story, other than to push the plot forward. And once she did that, she was tossed away like the piece of rubbish that the character really was. Now that's like I said, not to say that the actress the actress did a great job i really wanted to see more of this actress on the screen yeah i thought she had some uh, some good chemistry with connor jessup who plays tyler i thought she had some some good chemistry with Amelia jones who plays kinsey so i, I really like the actress who played carly i just thought that the the character was just not well uh, not even that it wasn't well thought out it just wasn't used It was only used, like I said, to to push a couple plot points forward and... And then that was it. There was no more thought put into that character by the writers. Now, while there were a a lot of things I really didn't like about this season, uh, there were a lot of things I really did enjoy. I liked some of the character building that they did. I liked what they did with the Nina Locke character, uh, played by Darby Darby Stanchfield. Uh, You know, they really dove into her realizing what her alcoholism did. Uh, You know, she has all these memories of things uh, she did with her husband, Rendell, and the kids when they were much younger. And she remembers them a certain way, but she looks back at her memories via the head key and find out how much her alcoholism affected her family and affected her adversely. So that was a really interesting storyline and a little bit of a character development that I liked. Uh, you know, you had the Connor Jessup, Tyler Locke character dealing with trying to forget what happened to his former girlfriend in season two and realizing that you you can't just forget it the hurt is always going to be there he he lost his memory of magic but that didn't take away the hurt of losing this person that he loved so much Uh, that was that was an interesting story arc and a way to build the character and get the character you know some sort of lesson they've learned I don't really feel like the Kinsey character had a big like self-realization moment in this but with Tyler gone for the first few episodes, you know, she really had to to grow up and take a leadership role in the family. So, I think in that regard her character did have some growth, but it just wasn't as overt as some of the other characters. And then of course, the Bodie character played by Jackson Robert Scott, who I really like this kid. I know some people have uh, had some problems with him, and there's even one uh situation where they make fun of him and uh, and his voice because the dodge character comes back and she's talking about bodie and and she's like oh that voice and it just it was a, a little bit of self-realization of some of the people uh some of the viewers out there and some of the fans out there that I haven't been high on him I, I think he's a good young actor he he's a young actor he's not you know Robert De Niro or Robert Redford or any other Robert that is uh, academy award quality uh performances he's he's a kid and he's got a lot of room to grow but i think he really added a lot of fun and precociousness and he he was uh <laughs> The character and his delivery were annoying in that way that sometimes little kids can be annoying, uh, but I love them to death. They're just little sweethearts, and and they may drive you nuts, but at the end of the day, you know you you want to protect them, you want to give them a hug and tell them everything's gonna be all right. You want to play hide and seek with them, and he, he's a good kid in this, and he he plays the character quite well. I think I think all of the the main family and a lot of the actors in this did a really really good job. I've seen some people and some reviewers kind of bitching about, you know, delivery of lines and especially Connor jessup gets a lot of shit but if you watch anything that Connor jessup does uh any of the things he's been in before that's just how he delivers lines it's not that he's searching for lines or just waiting to deliver a line based on the direction he's getting he's he's very contemplative in his delivery he plays characters that think about what they're saying uh before they blurt it out I, i think it's a it's a character choice. It's a style of delivery that he, is, he has cultivated in his you know young years in in acting. And Jesus, the kid's only 28 years old. you know he's also gonna grow and develop as an actor. and I, I think he did a good job. I think they all really did a good job uh, from the main cast to some of the secondary and tertiary characters. I enjoyed all the performances for what they were. And for what this show was, some of the dialogue can be a little stilted, and you can't blame the actors for that. Uh, Some of the dialogue can feel a little ham-fisted. You can't blame the actors for that. So I, for the most part, really enjoyed the actors, and I enjoyed what some of these actors got to do in this season. You know, they got to have a little bit of character growth and development. Now I was a little disappointed that kind of everybody got a happy ending. Uh, there were no characters that were forever changed by the events of these past three seasons. We only had one real death, and it was a again a tertiary character. Uh, it, it really felt like everybody got their happy ending and there were no consequences for all that they had gone through. So that was a little disappointing, uh, you know, and that kind of lent itself to the fact that there were no real stakes by the time it was all said and done. I mean, the first season set up uh, that there were big stakes involved. The second season kind of paid that off a little bit with the, the finale. And then the third season kind of, Uh, let the stakes fizzle out, and we never really got characters that like i said were forever changed by the events of of what had happened the family gets to live happily ever after tyler's moving back to montana with uh, carly kinsey's planning to go to school with scott bodie's gonna be a little kid probably playing with rufus and nina and josh have a burgeoning relationship the keys are all gone there's no magic and bob's your uncle Although I did like how, at the end, uh, Bodhi makes the comment. They're all walking into the house, having that uh, nice family moment to to end the series. And Bodhi's like, do you hear that? And they're like, what? And he's like, nothing, because they don't hear the whispers of the keys, which I thought was a a really nice uh, effect for showing when the keys are near. But they don't hear anything. And they all go into the house. And then that's when you hear it, the little little punch at the end, you start to hear some of the whispering of of the keys. Uh, Is that because there are still keys yet unfound? Is that just kind of a red herring to make you wonder what, what if? Uh, I I don't know, but it was a nice little touch at the end to say, uh, the end, question mark. And while the fact that everything got tied up with a nice neat pretty bow and and everyone lived happily ever after. I did like how they brought back uh, a lot of characters from the first couple seasons to make l- little cameos in this this final farewell season, even though they weren't uh, main characters in this third season or even a part of the storyline, like the the Logan character got to make an appearance. The Jackie character got brought back in some flashbacks. Um, Kinsey's love interest uh, Scott gets brought back at the very end, and in kind of in a FaceTime uh, scene, in, in some of the middle episodes. So you know they brought back some of the some of the people that had been there from the beginning and helped make them at least a part of this third season, even if they weren't a part of the main story. Uh, one of the characters that I thought really had an interesting story arc is the sam lesser character because in this series of course he goes from killing Rendell at the beginning of the series and then at the end of season two you got to see his ghost with the what was his name chamberlain ghost in the graveyard uh he helped kinsey find the key for the uh a set of angel wings and in this season uh this character this sam lesser character uh, as a ghost inadvertently well not inadvertently I i think it was planned but one of gideon's henchmen goes through the ghost door and sam comes and Possesses his body, and he's, uh, you know, he doesn't expect the locks to forgive him, but he wants to make amends. He wants to help them. And there was an interesting arc there, a redemption arc for this uh, Sam Lesser character. Did this character deserve it for what they did? You know, he was manipulated by Dodge, but he made his own choices. And he even says that there's some realization and some real remorse for what he did maybe maybe time as a ghost and under chamberlain's tutelage he learned the error of his ways so whether it made sense whether it was a part of the comics or not i i think it was an interesting story arc for that character to go from being such a reviled character hated character in the the first episode to a character that got some redemption and went out uh, a hero of sorts uh, that that was interesting now i have pretty much shit on this season <laughs> the whole time and that really wasn't my intent but i just open my mouth and stings you know the stream of consciousness uh reviewing kind of just starts spilling forth and I, I i don't think i've given it a very favorable review thus far but all in all, I, re- I I did enjoy the season. Was it what I hoped it would be for the grand finale of this series? No, I, I was expecting something bigger. I mean, they raised the stakes in season two with the, the finale of that. I expected things to be bigger and badder and, you know, more, like I said, more epic. And it just wasn't. It kind of fell flat, and like I said, that's not an indictment on the cast because I thought the cast did well. I just think it wasn't a really well-written season, and I think that's because they were rushing to get this out because they knew they were only going to get three seasons. We want to film back-to-back, and we are going to pump this out as quick as possible and not a lot of thought and a lot, not a lot of care was put into the season three script, which is a shame because all in all, as much as this is not the comics, uh, it had some shades of the comics. It has some homages to the comics. It has some elements uh, that were done in the comics, but just done differently for the series. All in all, It's not bad, you know, if you go into it realizing that this is not going to be the horror and the violence and the gore and the, the scares of the comics and that this is going to be a show that is kind of geared towards tweens and teens but adults can, you know, there's there's enough uh, swear words, they say shit a lot and somebody drops an F-bomb. So it's not necessarily completely geared towards kids. I mean, adults can enjoy it as well. But you have to go into it realizing it's that and not the lock and key of the comics. And ultimately, I did enjoy the idea of this. I thought, you know, Joe Hill had a brilliant idea with having these uh, magical keys that do things. And, you know, they unlock certain things, doors or, or items and magical things happen. I think that's just a, a wonderful idea and brilliantly done in the comics. Uh, I, I thought they did a really good job with that with this series. I liked the keys. Some of the key designs were ripped directly off the page of the comics, uh, which I really liked those nods, those touches like the ghost key, uh, the well key things like that. The Anywhere key, uh, very similar to that in the comics. Uh, I, I liked like that they paid attention to that sort of detail. I liked how the magic of the keys worked. Um, I, I even liked how, you know, the head key uh, works differently. It, it works similarly, but differently in the comics as opposed to the TV series. Like in the comics, the, the top of somebody's head opens up and you can look at the memories inside and pull things out. I liked how like a door manifests and you can kind of go into the headspace and I I almost like the look of that better than than what they did in the comics and the special effects weren't horrible I I I hear some people bitching and moaning the special effects are bad I don't think they were bad I don't think they were great I've seen better, but I sure hell seen a lot worse special effects. I I thought the special effects and the CG in this were probably middle of the road. They weren't some of the top tier that I've seen, but they certainly weren't the worst special effects and CG that I've seen. Uh, Whether it's green screen, whether it's CGI, whether it's practical mixed with CGI, I was happy with it. Was it on the level of things like Sandman? Uh, The Sandman, I thought, had really good CGI. Uh, Was it on that level? No. But was it as shitty uh, CG as they had in the movie Prey? Which is probably one of the only bad things I could say about that movie. Uh, No. I mean, this uh, Lock and Key had much better CG, especially CG animals, than Prey. So, I, I really could look past any weak CG. Because even their weak CG was better than a lot of a lot of movies and TV shows CG, so that really wasn't a problem for me. So all in all, this is a series that, for me, really felt like it went downhill. I thought the first season was excellent. It was a great setup, and it really felt a lot closer to the comics than than any of the other seasons uh but then season two comes along they start to deviate and they speed up some timelines and and then season three comes along and they've deviated a little more and they've got to get things back on track so they just write their way out of of any problems they have with how things played out in the comics it just It really suffered from Season 1 to Season 3 as far as the writing goes. And if I were going to rank the seasons, yeah, it goes... Season 1 was the best, Season 2 was 2, and Season 3 was probably the worst of the seasons. Does that mean it's not worth the watch? I, I don't think so. I mean, this is a not a good representation of the comic books but it is a representation of the comics and it is a an entertaining representation of the comics uh even though season three does feel rushed it does feel like they're just it's a means to win they're just trying to to speed through to get to that final that final act so they can wrap this up uh all in all, it's a good family show. If your family likes science fiction and fantasy, maybe with a little tinge of horror from time to time, uh, this is a good show that people can sit down and watch as a family. Mom and dad can watch this with the kids or the tweens or the teens or or whatever. Uh, I, I, I enjoyed it for what it was. Was it the comics? No. But that's The beauty of it, I think, is it got me interested enough in this that I want to go back and read the comics. I I know enough about the comics. Uh, I know enough about what Joe Hill and Gabriel Rodriguez did with the comics, you know, back when they put these out. I know enough about the characters and the stories to to know what happens, but I've never actually read the comics. So I, I wanna go back and check out uh, some of these comics. And you know, I've I've seen panels and I've seen pages and, and little clips of stories uh, from the comics, but this makes me wanna go back and and really dive into the source material and see what the series could have been. Because they've been trying to do this for a long time. I know uh, there was, I don't know, the CW, one of the networks was trying to do a lock and key TV series. It got a pilot and then got canned. Hulu tried to do a lock and key pilot and they canned it. Uh, There was talk a few years back about them doing a trilogy of lock and key movies. That would be interesting, Uh, but that got canned. So finally, we get to see the Joe Hill, Gabriel Rodriguez uh, vision of this on the screen, on the small screen, but on the screen, all the same. And I think, it did it justice enough in that the Lock and Key TV series really tapped into one of, the, one of the most important things of the comic series is the magic and the fantasy of it all, which I think is at the heart of that story, and you really see the heart of that story played out. Uh, it may be not how the story exactly goes down. It may not be how the characters actually are in the books. But it has enough of the heart of magic and fantasy that I think, you know, it's worth a watch. And then go back and read the comics. Or better yet, read the comics first and then watch the series. Uh, maybe if I did that, I'd be singing a different tune. Maybe I would not like this series much more than I actually do like it. But that's not where we're at and that's not what has happened and I'm going to go back and read the comics and I'm pretty sure I'm going to really dig the comics a lot more than I did the series. But I can't say that I'm disappointed that I watched the series at all because I did for all its faults I did enjoy it. So those are my thoughts on Lock and Key season 3 and the Lock and Key Netflix series as a whole. Like I said, uh it wasn't perfect and the third season was very wanting and very lacking, but as a whole I can't say that I was disappointed that I watched this. You know, it was it was definitely very entertaining and full of the fantasy and magic that I love and that you know it really taps into that love of those all things magic and all things fantasy that that you grew up just wishing were real as a kid it kind of tapped into that aesthetic and that feel of of childhood and wanting magic to be real and that is kind of embodied in the Bodhi character at the very end he doesn't want to give up the keys because he doesn't want to give up magic Uh, I think in some way he even says it but not succinctly that you know magic makes him feel special and it's not magic that makes you special it's the magic of family that is the special thing so if you haven't checked out lock and key on Netflix uh, give it a go uh, like I said either read that make sure you read the comic series there's plenty of compendiums out there there's plenty of volumed sets of the of the Joe Hill and Gabriel Rodriguez uh, graphic novel uh, get those. Either read it before you watch it or read it after you watch it. But, you know, compare and contrast and and see which one you like the most. And I guarantee uh, you're going to be entertained by one of the two. And maybe if all goes well, maybe both of them entertain you for different reasons. So there you have it, my take on Lock and Key Season 3 and the series as a whole. I want to thank everyone for taking the time to listen to my stream of consciousness ramblings on on the work of Joe Hill and the work of Gabriel Rodriguez and the work of the people at Netflix that put this series together. Uh, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. Check out more on Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop with our Facebook page. We're always posting trailers to the latest movies and series that are hitting the Hitting the screen, whether it be the big screen or the small screen, always adding my thoughts and comments to various articles uh, that I share from all over the internet talking about horror, fantasy, and science fiction. You'll hear my two cents and... As always, uh, no matter where you're listening to this podcast, whatever platform, please follow it, subscribe to it, like it, uh, share it, get the word out, uh, share it with anybody that you know that loves horror, fantasy, and science fiction. And as always, please leave a review. Five stars would be awesome. But whatever review you leave, we do appreciate it. So until next time. Thank you for visiting Odds Bodkins Curiosity Shop. We hope that you found something to your liking and visit the shop again soon. But even though you may come back, you never really get to leave Odds Bodkins Curiosity Shop. <laughs>